0: Rabbi Joseph Karasik is with us live via telephone. He is author of the book, 13 Steps, Orthodox Judaism in America Comes of Age, My Life and Times. Give me me a moment, folks, before I I welcome Rabbi Karasik to the air to read his bio, which is fascinating in and of itself. Rabbi Joseph Karasik was born in Minsk in 1922, came to America the following year with his family who settled in San Francisco, with his grandfather, Rabbi Gershon Katzman. After receiving his primary education in California and Seattle, he crossed the country to attend Yeshiva University, see, serving as editor of YU's Commentator during his undergraduate years and graduating from Yeshiva College in 1943. Continued to Ritz, where he studied with Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik, receiving rabbinic ordination in 1945. Rabbi Karasik assumed the pulpit of Sharit Israel, the Spanish-Portuguese synagogue of Montreal, Canada. Shortly after he left the position to go into business, a longtime Orthodox Union board member and leader in the Orthodox community, Rabbi Karasik served as president of the OU 1966 to 1972, and chairman of its board from 72 to 78. Rabbi Karasik was the recipient of the Lifetime Leadership Award at the 108th OU National Dinner in 2006, and the OU Department of Synagogue Services. Was named the Peppa and Rabbi Joseph Karasik Department of Synagogue Services. The book is called 13 Steps: Orthodox Judaism in America Comes of Age: My Life and Times." Rabbi Joseph Karasik, welcome to JM in the Air. Thank you AM. very much. A pleasure to have you on the air, and I thoroughly enjoyed the book. took me back to uh, Took me back to an era that I recall as a youth, and. Uh, I'm going to try my best to convey and to uh, review all of this for our readers to the point where I hope they pick up the book and learn a lot about modern Jewish history. Let me start with this, Rabbi Karasik. You, you had this unique experience of leading the, um, of being in a leadership position in the Jewish world, both as a rabbi and as a lay leader. Which one has a more direct and positive effect on the Jewish community?
1: With one, it couldn't be one without the other. If I had remained a uh, pulpit rabbi, as we call it, I never would have uh, crossed the boundaries into the bigger Jewish world. On the other hand, if I had, didn't have my rabbinic uh, training, my rabbinic background, and I went into the uh, into the communal world, I would have missed a lot. It's very interesting. The OU is a uh, lay organization, right. and when I became president, I was still uh, keeping my title, Rabbi Joseph Karasik, and uh, my first act was to sit down with my officers and said, guys, uh, do you, what do you want me to do? Do you, want, do you want me to be Mr. Joseph Karasik or Rabbi Joseph Karasik? So I would be the first a religious, quote, a leader of the OU. And they all said, very interesting, they all said, we want you to maintain the title rabbi, because if you have that title, you could speak to other rabbis. You could speak to rabbis who are much uh, higher than you, much more important than you, and speak on a certain level playing field. And I found that to be true.
0: You could speak with rabbinic authority.
1: I spoke with, with the authority of the president of the OU, who had been a rabbi and who knew the business pretty well. And wherever I went, and, I, and as, as my book would show, I met practically all the gdolim from Rav Shach, Rav Moshe, and so on and so on. And they all gave me a little more covered
0: because of my title. Right. Understood. Joseph Karasik is with us. Um, One of the things that that I've always, I've always, I I was always told growing up, let's put it that way, uh, that one of the roles that a rabbi, a synagogue rabbi had in the era when you served as rabbi, today would be covered by different organizations. For instance, if there was uh, an issue with a uh, another um, uh, another religious group in town of a, of another faith, or if there was uh, an issue with the medical examiner, and uh, you know there were there were uh, autopsies that were being encouraged that had to be discouraged by the rabbi. Today we have organizations and organized efforts that take care of these things, but in those days it was the rabbi, uh, the rabbi of the community, based on their personal relationships with people in the community in different positions who would have to step in and take care of these matters. Would that be a, a good distinction between being a pulpit rabbi then and today?
1: So I, that's a very, very good point that you raise. The rabbi in those days, and, then, and yeah, I'm talking, <laughs> talking the we're talking about 1965, 66, 70s, and so on, the rabbi had a completely different role. He was the father of the community. Everybody turned to him. And he had that built-in authority, which today I'm afraid the rabbis, the younger rabbis today are, uh, quote, Harvard type. They're more career-minded uh, it's a business like any other business, except it's in the rabbinate. In those days, there was much more warmth and uh, uh, problem-solving. People were coming with all, all sorts of problems, and we had to be ready to do that. Now, in fact, in my particular case, it was a, a, a little difficult, because I was became rabbi when I was 24 years old of the Spanish and Portuguese. And how much experience in life did I have? Never the, did I have. Nevertheless, people came to me. They listened to what I had to say, and we kept on
0: going. That is a big, big difference. What about education in the shul? You know, today, a rabbi can be in, in almost every major Jewish community and be surrounded by congregants who are really well educated. Did you? Feel the responsibility that essentially whatever it was that you discussed from the pulpit or in your shiurim in the shul was really the extent of the Jewish education of the of the majority of your congregants. Unfortunately, when I became president in
1: '66, we had the the younger generation. Uh, I, I, today, I think you would call them the millennial, and so on. Don't forget, most of them came out of the army right and when they they had no they and they had no day school to go to before right. they were in the army for four or five six years they came out they knew practically nothing and uh i, I had that situation where i was dealing with people who knew very very little about our faith and about the uh, about what we believed believed in and so on and It was difficult. It was difficult to explain uh, these concepts to them. Today, uh, uh, you have guys in the in the uh, congregation who uh, have gone to yeshiva, uh, have have learned very much, and who know more than the rabbis do. Right. It wasn't in my case.
0: Right. Rabbi Joseph Karasik is with us. Uh, I mentioned in the uh, in the intro that uh, you spend your your youth in uh, San Francisco and Seattle. Uh, Were there other Jews? How were you educated Jewishly in that era? Very good
1: question. In San Francisco, where my grandfather was rubbed for almost 40 years, the situation was very difficult. San Francisco was a a, uh, strong central point for reform Jewry. You had Jews who came there for the gold rush and they began to establish themselves on banking in in, uh, in trade and so on and they controlled everything that happened in San Francisco except for one thing they had tolerance they had tolerance with my grandfather when he came for various problems on kosherus and so on they listened to him and in fact i don't know if i mentioned in my book or not in fact they gave me a scholarship to YU. Now, why? Because they were so proud of a young man who was going into the rabbinate that they said, listen, we're going to take care of this. So that's one hand. On the other hand, there was a youth that knew a lot. We had an excellent Talmud Torah, but a youth that did not practice at all, did not practice kashas, did not practice Shamir Shabbos, And I was part of that youth, and my grandfather and my parents were panicky. What are we gonna do with this guy? And then the Rabbi Wogelanter, the Rabbi of Seattle, was visiting my grandfather on a question of, on Shilas and so on. And he sees me sitting there and says to my grandfather, who is this young man? He says, my grandson. What is he doing? My grandfather had trouble trying to tell him I was really not doing that much, and there wasn't much that I could do. So Rabbi Bogle, I just said, send them up to me to Seattle. In Seattle, they had started a uh, somewhat uh, yeshiva or a group that met. We all went to public high schools. Uh, that after, after school, we would come and sit and learn for a couple hours, and it was the beginning of the yeshiva atmosphere. And that's really what saved me. And I also want to, if I could have the time, that I was 14 years old when I left San Francisco. And you tell you, this: look at your son who is 14 years old today, and look at him and send him out into the world on his own. I mean, it's ludicrous. And I went out and I was in big danger. Imagine sending a kid out of 14 and then going to six years in yeshiva on my own, my parents were 3,000 miles away from me. And I could have, there were so many pitfalls on the way. And Baruch Hashem, I had the
0: Seyata Unbelievable. Rabbi Joseph Karasik with us. What year did you get to Yeshiva University?
1: Got there in 19, what is it? 1939.
0: Uh, I don't know if you've been there recently. What could you tell today's students about what it was like back then?
1: I have been invited to YU to speak to the Smithers students because I had experience both as a pulpit rabbi and in the business world. And I found the boys very, very smart, very intelligent, and been looking in the rabbinate, as I said before, as he were looking and going to work for uh, uh, for uh the Bank of America. Very, very, very very. very uh, cool about it and they were pumping me and pumping me what about this, what about that what about this situation and that situation and they take their careers very very seriously
0: Aside from his brilliant uh, a- academician uh, uh, reputation and his brilliant um, a career as a Talmudic lecturer, what else can you tell us about Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik
1: Well my case was an was individual case. When I entered the Rov Sheer, my grandfather, who was not a young man, hopped on the train from San Francisco to New York. It wasn't much. Three days and four nights. <laughs> Imagine that. to come to New York, introduce himself to the Rov, and told him, my grandson is going to your Sheer. Please watch him. Keep, I say, watch him, see what he does. This is what he told the rov, And the rov was so touched that he promised my grandfather that he would do that. And for the next 40 years, the Rav was my teacher, my mentor, my whatever you wanted. And what greater covet and what greater pleasure could a young man have? Being so close
0: to the rough and that's why I say beyond the academics and his brilliance uh, of a reputation as a lecturer, many don't realize uh, how how he had the ability to become close to a student and how students would gravitate toward him and really hang on his every word.
1: yet, yet it's strange i I don't know I knew the rough quite well. I don't know if his entire career. He was actually close to more than five or six students. Wow! And uh, he was by nature shy, you know. And he was he did he didn't want to to make it too difficult for, especially for his students. And uh, in my book, I uh, I publish the uh, Russia that he gave at my at my grandson's ben, yep, I read that. yep, describing the relationship among the generations. And when he would come into his shear in the morning from Boston, all tired out, and looking at these 80, 90, 100 kids, looking up at him all with fresh faces, and he was so tired that after he gave his shear, as he quotes so beautifully, Rabbi Akiva walks in, Rabbi Hayim walks in, right. and, and the Rambam walks in. Right. And he sees a change that these guys, the students, are, are all tired, and he's fresh as could
0: be. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You also, by the way, I mean, there's so much to talk about. We're not going to get to everything, but I, I have to mention you have an amazing piece in the back of the book <clears throat> where you you print what you had written at that time in 1967, your impressions. In the immediate aftermath of the Six Day War, I'd like your permission for me to uh, to record that in a spoken word format, uh, so that we have it for posterity. I think it is one. Of, I think that letter is an absolutely brilliant essay, and for those of us who grew up with parents who never stopped speaking about Jerusalem pre and post Six Day War, it is so meaningful. With all, with pleasure. really amazing and that's one of the reasons I recommend this book Um, and one of the problems with a book that I really like is I read it too early and some of the things some of the things I read I've already uh, I I may have uh, forgotten Uh, am I right or wrong that you mentioned that uh, you spent time in Baltimore
1: the first summer that I was in the yeshiva Rav Gifter who later became the Rosh Yeshiva tells had just come from uh, Europe and uh, he, that summer he wanted to have a chabura of uh, young uh, students, and he came from Baltimore, uh, and uh, he came to the yeshiva to ask for volunteers. I was one of those who volunteered to come to Baltimore, and to, and, Rab, and, and also with Gifter, I became very, very close
0: Uh as a Tom of Hover. And, and that was a, and their Yisrael experience or so nothing? No, oh, no, no. Nothing no, to do no, with no. the yeshiva, nothing to do with it the yeshiva.
1: It was Yisrael. Rabbi Gifters, a right. personal thing. And uh, if you if you really want to know, that's when I first got the Tom of how to learn. We learned in the Dorim. Mm. And the first time I got a Tom of, of how really to learn a piece of Gomorrah, And uh, all throughout all the years, I developed very good friendships in Baltimore and so on.
0: Yeah, I, w- I was asking for a selfish reason because during that era, my grandfather Harav Yosef Segal was uh, the mashkiach in uh, Ner Yisrael. and I was wondering, uh, uh. was wondering if that uh, uh, it,
1: this it, was a purely uh, right purely Rabbi Gifter's uh, effort.
0: Now, it, uh, lay leadership in the late '60s, early '70s, and that's uh, I think you would consider to be your most active era, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and again, I, I said to you off the air. I'm somewhat familiar with it because that was uh, that was the period of time my father was the president of the RCA. I don't think people today realize the history that people like yourself helped guide, because the time of the Six Day War was so critical, so crucial, especially in terms of support, both financial and otherwise, from the excuse me from the American Jewish community. Could you give us a taste? Of what it was like to be in a leadership role when Washington and Jerusalem were making major decisions frankly about the future of the Jewish people?
1: I became president of the OU in 66 the six-day war was in 67 the change in the Jewish world from 66 before the war to 67 after the war they're really very, very difficult to describe it. Before the war, the Jewish community here, when I first was a sleepy, sleepy community, you didn't have the the balabatan, as I said before, they didn't have the education. Suddenly the Six-Day War was an injection into the Jewish community that's impossible to describe. Suddenly, I was I was there, and I felt the change, and I had the good fortune of following up those the following years of my presidency in a completely different world. That's when when I had the big fight with the with the Russia Shivas and the others about uh, I I wanted the OU to become a world organization to unite to unite the activities of the OU with Orthodox communities throughout the world. And the yeshiva world misinterpreted. They they—they they confused the whole concept of hechot shlomo, which, which was a, a parochial battle which had nothing to do with what I had in mind. And uh, as my uh, children ask me very often, Daddy, how could you stand up in front of the rosh yeshivas and, and to disregard them. And my answer was, I knew what, what what I wanted, and they had, and the stories that were given them were false stories, with the end being that Rebosheh uh, is the chrono of Racha, who was one of my strongest opponents, ended up being my very, very closest friend. Once he understood what I had in mind, and at that particular time, we united Jewish communities of all over the world, and uh, Baruch Hashem, it was successful. It's a whole different world.
0: Well, also, you 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 led during an era when uh, when it was possible for people to believe that a rabbinic leader might be wrong. Uh, today, unfortunately, that's not the case. Where we live in an era where there's this impression of infallibility among leadership, uh, something something that Moses himself, frankly, did not enjoy. Um, <laughs>
1: I, I wanna tell you, never to my knowledge, never, 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 not even for one moment, did I do anything to disparage of the leadership not. of the of of the Gdolim like Reb Moshe, Rabbiankov Kamanetsky, uh, the the and the Rabarin coupler and the whole group never never I'd say anything to disparage you I would
0: never suggest that, God forbid all I'm saying is, as you just indicated, that there were times where it seemed likely that they were misinformed about different things or
1: they were, they were misinformed. There you go, right. and and the, if I had time, I'd tell you the story, but I go buy the book,
0: yeah, <laughs> so yeah, people should buy the book, and I'm encouraging it, and you should know something. I am encouraging the 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 next generation of seagulls to get the book because so much of what we experienced, again, as I said, uh, uh, through my father's uh, career, um, you bring to life. He never wrote a book. And for us, this is so important because you bring so much of that to life, especially as you describe the era of the Six-Day War, as you describe your relationship with Lubavitcher Rebbe. You know, real influential Jewish leaders of that time spent Time with the Labavitcher Rebbe, because he realized how it, how important an investment it was to spend that time with influential and responsible Jewish leaders, and I'm sure you wear that with pride.
1: Yeah, and I want to tell you that your father, Oliver uh and I were very, very friendly opponents, and I told you before we had a we had a. Uh, oh, I don't know. I have to watch my words. <laughs> uh, we did. <laughs> we we were worthy opponents of one another. You bet. You. I'm probably one of the only guys around today who still remembers him. Tall, handsome guy, f- who who was the boss. Of Newark, New Jersey, right?
0: No question about that. And uh, you know for for me, being in being in the second half of this generation, I don't remember the golden era like my older siblings do. So it's important for me to hear these words from you, so I greatly appreciate that. Okay. Uh, the book is called Thirteen Steps: Orthodox Judaism in America Comes of Age. My Life and Times are by Joseph Karasik. I'm sure people are curious why it's called 13 steps. That's actually something that has to do with this era, right? That's a development a very recent development for you, the 13 right, steps. Right, right. And people could read about that in your introduction and uh, and find why you went ahead and named it that. And um, the relationship with your wife is, is is wonderful and so heartwarming. How critical is it uh, what would you say to the young rabbis of, the, of today about taking advantage of their wife's dedication and their interest in what they're doing? How important is it to have a partner who understands how, how urgently important it is uh, to be part of the entire process?
1: I want to tell you, the, my, my, my wife and I, we were married for 64 and a half years, and she was my companion but today the Revisons has a much, much bigger role because, the, first of all, the Revisons uh, are, are all very well educated. They went to Stern College, based Yaakov, and so on. And the demands upon them, we know we're in the midst of this big problem, what to do with the women in, in our communities, in our societies, in our synagogues. And today the... the uh, the uh, wife that a young rabbi chooses has to be very very careful she has to be a smart girl she has to have a wonderful education and she has to stand with him side by side i said i had a lovely wife beautiful great to go with her all over but the demands on her were not nearly what the, what the demands on a young rabbi are today
0: right wow unbelievable Uh, You know the uh, two of the big issues that have been covered uh, in the uh, Yeshiva University commentator in the last few days. In the last few days, now in 2018, one is the um, uh, revelation by a new student at Yeshiva University about the uh, unfortunate lack of religious Zionism, at least through his eyes, on campus. And another one was um, a woman who uh, who was lamenting that uh, that there were opponents to her giving a Dvar Torah in shul. So we can call it, I guess, Israel issues and women's issues. When you were editor of The Commentator, and I think that goes back, would you say, about uh, 70 years or so?
1: At 19, 19, uh 1960. When, I, when did I graduate? 1940 something. Yeah, I got
0: 1943. Oh, so I'm right. It's a, it's almost that that number of years. W- were those were those among the major issues that college students were writing about and publishing?
1: No, no, there was no. The, the issues, I had a very peculiar issue. It was during the war time. I, when, I, when I went to YU and when I was editor of Kami. And my main message was to the yeshiva boys, behave like the yeshiva boys. The whole world, they were drafting them right and left from all the schools and colleges all over America. You are the lucky ones. You have to behave like yeshiva students, and when they see you on the street, they should know that this is a special young man. And that was my message that I tried to drive home, and I think I was successful. Also, in... Uh, I was, I think, among the very first of all the journalists, incidentally, by paper, under my editorship, received the award of the, uh, first of all, I was who's who on American colleges and campuses, and also the commie got an award as one of the best college newspapers at that particular time. But then then I published the Holocaust issue, and this was in uh I forget all my dates here. Anyhow, uh when I was a uh Would that be would that be in the commentator archives? Oh yes, oh yes. It's that the whole edition is there to get it. it's it's available, I've seen it. Uh and uh many of them have it on their computers. The issue where I where I began to disclose don't forget this was in uh the 1940s, yeah. 1942, 41, 42, when the world, the Jewish world, had no concept of all, uh, at all about the, about the Holocaust. Right. Suddenly the news began to come out, and I published a whole issue on this, and at that time it caused a considerable stir because people really for the first time began to know what, what a Holocaust is. They had no idea beforehand what it was.
0: Rabbi Karasik, what an honor for me to have you on. I I know how important this book is. I just want you to know that. I know how important this book is, and I hope everybody out there gets it. It's called 13 Steps, Orthodox Judaism in America Comes of Age, My Life and Times, by Joseph Karasik, an OU press release. It's an OU press release. Rabbi Karasik, would you know if this is available at the YU Safarim sale?
1: I was there. They, they They had a special room for me there. At the sale, in fact, uh, her parents and there, and Willig, and others were there at that time. And uh, we did a very, very, very nice business That's at great. the foreign
0: sale. That's great. I hope everybody out there picks it up. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. And the Hatzlach with the book and everything, and best regards to the entire family.
1: Thank you, Zev. Thank you very, very much. I really enjoyed this.
0: Another reference to my father, not a problem at all. Thank you so much. Rabbi Joseph Karasik on a very special Thursday morning edition of JM in the AM.